Well, we're studying Hebrews, as you all know by now, I think. Uh, let's just read our, our passage for today, and then we'll get into uh, examining it and just looking at what it says to us. Hebrews chapter 9, that's where we are, Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 15. Is it up there? Right, let's go. Hebrews 9 verse 1 to 15. Now the first covenant, in fact, had regulations for worship and its earthly sanctuary. For a tent was prepared, the outer one, which contained the lampstand, the table, and the presentation of the loaves. This is called the holy place. And after the second curtain, there was a tent called the holy of holies. It contained the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered entirely with gold. In this Ark were the golden urn containing the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And above the Ark were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Now it's not the time to speak of these things in detail. So with these things prepared like this, the priests enter continually into the outer tent as they perform their duties. But only the high priest enters once a year into the inner tent, and not without blood that he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is making clear that the way into the holy place had not yet appeared as long as the old tabernacle was standing. This was a symbol for the time then present when gifts and sacrifices were offered that could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They served only for matters of food and drink and various ritual washings. They are external regulations imposed until the new order came. But now Christ has come as the high priest of the good things to come. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And he offered once for all, sorry, entered once for all into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And so he himself secured eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkled on those who are defiled, consecrated them and provided ritual purity, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to worship the living God. And so he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the eternal inheritance he has promised, since he died to set them free from the violations committed under the first covenant." Well, there's a lot in this passage, and so I'm just going to try and unpack it with the Lord's help today and just bring out what I believe is the main point that the writer is making here. Last week, we looked um, briefly at the five major covenants that God was, has made with people throughout history, and we saw why God made each of them, and we also saw how they, they fit together and work together to shape God's redemptive plan for His people. So 
we focused in, in this particular letter, we are focusing in on two of those covenants. The Mosaic covenant, which is referred to here in, in Hebrews as the first or the old covenant, and then the new covenant. So the Mosaic covenant, we said last week, God made this covenant with Abraham's descendants at Mount Sinai, just after they had come out of Egypt. And he said to them, and I'm just going to read it to you. I don't know if it's up there. Um, is it there? Exodus 19. Exodus 19, 5 to 6. Let me just remind you of what he said. If you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, in other words, keep the terms of the covenant, this is the old covenant, the first covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that is what God said to them when he made that covenant with them at Mount Sinai. If they did what the covenant demanded of them, God would be for them, and they would be blessed, and they would live forever in the land that God had given them, the land that he had covenanted to Abraham to give to them, and they would live in that land securely, and they would be blessed. Okay, so it was all dependent on them obeying the terms of the covenant. If they didn't obey the terms of the covenant, they would be cursed, and the land would vomit them out, and God would be against them. In other words, they would be treated as if they were Gentiles. And the problem is that the Israelites failed to keep the terms of that covenant. And the history of Israel speaks to what took place as a result of that failure. And you look at the checkered history of Israel, how they've been in and out of that land, I don't know how many times, all because they did not keep the terms of the covenant. And uh, they were, as a result, disqualified from that prize. As uh, Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 2, he says, because they didn't keep the law, the terms of the covenant, they became as though they were uncircumcised, which was the, the, the thing that was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, so that's one of the reasons why the nation of Israel has been exiled from that land and gone back and forward from it. But what did God do? Did God just leave it there? No. He promised to make a new covenant with Israel and with Judah, with the 12 tribes, with the descendants of Abraham. And he said it would not be like the first covenant that he had made with them, the one that he made with them at Mount Sinai. It would be better. It would be superior. It would be founded on better promises. And it would replace and make obsolete the first covenant. So it would do away with it. It would come in and take its place. And it would accomplish what the first covenant had failed to accomplish. Okay, so do you remember we talked about this last week? It would come in and accomplish what the first covenant had failed to accomplish. And so this brings us to a question. In what way would it be, not be like the first covenant? And why would it succeed where the first covenant failed? In what way would it not be like the first covenant? And why would it succeed where the first covenant had failed? Well, let's look at this answer today. Well, it would not be like the first covenant because it was not going to be dependent on the people for its success. Isn't that wonderful? The first covenant was completely dependent on the people. 
If you obey everything I've given you, then you will be blessed. Then you will live in the land securely. Then I will be for you. But if you don't obey it, I will be against you. And you will be cursed. And the land will vomit you out. You'll not be able to continue living in it. So the first covenant was completely dependent on the people. But the new covenant is completely dependent on Jesus Christ. And I just want to put that slide up. There it is. I want to just go through this and I want to just show you the contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. So in the new covenant, instead of the mediator of the covenant being an Israelite, in other words, Moses, who's the mediator of the new covenant? It's Christ. Instead of the high priest being chosen out of Israel, as was the case in the old covenant, the high priest of the new covenant is Christ. Instead of the tabernacle being made by the Israelites, it was to be, it was to be a tabernacle in the New Testament in heaven that's been made by God through Christ. Instead of the sacrifices for sins being provided by the Israelites, in other words, them bringing their bulls and their goats and offering them to God for their sins, the sacrifice was to be provided by God. And who was it to be? Christ. Instead of the sacrifice being offered by Israeli priests, it was to be offered by Christ. Now we could keep on going. Do you see... How the new covenant is not like the old covenant. Because instead of it being dependent on what the people do, the new covenant is dependent on what Christ has done. It is a Christ-centered covenant. Okay? And that means, if you can put the next slide up, that in the new covenant, Christ would take over everything the people under the old covenant were responsible for. Isn't that amazing? He would take over everything that they were responsible for and he would perform it on their behalf. He would assume the roles that they had failed to carry out perfectly as was required by them. And where they had failed, he would succeed. That's why the new covenant will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Because it's not dependent on fallible, weak, sinful human beings, it's dependent upon the infallible, sinless Son of God. Isn't that wonderful? It is to me. And so we see Jesus would do all that He does on behalf of the people that in this passage, it says the people who are called by God. So who are these? It's talking about God's elect you remember Romans chapter 8, verse 29 to 30? We, we looked at it when we were studying Romans. Those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He glorified. So it's on behalf of this group of people that Jesus has done all of this. It's the group of people that 1 Corinthians 1.24 says that are both from the Jew and the Gentile and to whom Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Is Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God to you today? Because if He is, 
then you're a part of this group that Scripture talks about. It's those who belong to, to Jesus, believe the gospel, have faith in Abraham, rejoice in Christ, and obey Him. Does that describe you today? And in chapter 7, verse 25 of Hebrews, this is what it says. It is everyone who comes to God through Jesus. So everyone that would come to God through Jesus comes to God on the basis of the fact that Jesus has done all that he's done for them. The first covenant, what it was unable to achieve, God achieves through the new covenant, through Christ. And I tell you, this is good news. This is why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. He said, for what the law, the old covenant, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Who did it? God did it. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That's the new covenant. So what the old covenant was unable to do because it was made weak because of the people, God did by sending His Son by the new covenant. Okay, do you get that? All right, so we've gone through this. I'm just laying a, a foundation for what we want to really get into today. Because this brings us to another burning question which is answered in this passage. This is the question. If this is the case, why did God make the old covenant at all? What was the purpose of it? Did God not know that the old covenant was going to fail? I mean, we talk about God knowing all things. He's the God who says He makes known the end from the beginning. Did He not know that this old covenant would never succeed? Did He not know that the people were going to fail? Well, the Bible tells us absolutely He did. In fact, he told Moses before it ever happened that the old covenant was going to fail. Let's just have a look at Deuteronomy 31 and read from verse 16 to 17. It says, And Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, you're about to die, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the foreign gods of the land, into the midst of which they are going. So this is still in the wilderness. They haven't even entered into the promised land. Moses is about to die and God is telling him what's going to happen. God knew about it all along. And he says, and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have cut with them. God knew it was going to happen. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be consumed. And many evils and troubles will find them so that they will say in that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have found us? So here is God prophesying, declaring ahead of time to Moses exactly what was going to take place. And if you go into chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, you see Moses begins to sing the song. And it's a song about the future of Israel. And in the song, he describes exactly what Israel was going to go through. Before time, he actually declares... What we look back today is the history of Israel. So we can see clearly from Scripture that God knew exactly what was going to happen. So why then did God make the old covenant? If He knew that it was going to fail, if He knew that it was never going to accomplish what He had 
put it or uh, uh, cut it and made it for, then why did he do it? I, this is what we want to look at today. First of all, if you can put up that slide, he made it as a temporary arrangement. So God, when he made that covenant with them, he knew it was never going to be the end. He knew it was just an intermediate step towards the end. Hebrews 9 verse 10, it says, They, referring to all the sacrifices and ordinances of the old covenant, served only for matters of food and drink and various ritual washings. They are external regulations imposed until the new order came. So there was a lifespan on that covenant. It was never going to be eternal. It was just an intermediary covenant. Secondly, okay, so it's a temporary arrangement. Secondly, he made it to educate his people about the new covenant. The old covenant foreshadowed the new. In other words, it was a type of the new. It was like this picture, this illustration of the new covenant. And it pointed, the old covenant was established to point everyone to the new covenant. To point everybody to the covenant that would be absolutely centered in and dependent on Jesus Christ. So in other words, the old covenant was established to be a schoolmaster that would teach people about Christ and point them to Him. That was the whole purpose of the old covenant. And so we see this clearly shown in this passage. The tabernacle that God commanded Israel to make and in which the priests served was just a model of the tabernacle in heaven. We read this in chapter 8 verse 5. Let's just read it again. It says the place where they serve is a sketch, a sketch and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. Just as Moses was warned by God as he was about to complete the tabernacle, for he says, see to it that you make everything according to the design shown to you on the mountain. So God gave Moses the blueprint. He gave him the plan that he had to make the tabernacle according to. Why did he do that? Because it was a picture of the tabernacle in heaven which is unseen. And then we see that God gave all these regulations. And if you want to read through Leviticus, you will see all these revelations. It's hard reading. Very tough reading. It's like going into a butcher's shop where there's just pieces of nyama hanging everywhere. Not easy to read. But God gave all these regulations and they defined the priest's duties. Why? Why did he do that? Why did he go to such lengths? With all these very specific details and ways that they had to do things. The priests just couldn't go about their duties whichever way they wanted to. There was very specific ordinances that they had to follow. And if they didn't, there was actually a time when two of the priests didn't follow the regulations and fire consumed them. Can you imagine that? Fire came and just consumed them. They just self-ignited why did God do this? Well, it was to show what Christ would do as the high priest of the new covenant. So they had to make sacrifices and shed blood. Why? Because Jesus was going to make a sacrifice and shed blood. 
They had to take, the high priest had to take that blood once a year into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Why? Because that's what Christ was going to do. He was going to go with His blood into the most holy place in heaven and He was going to sprinkle His blood on the mercy seat before God. So everything that God commanded these priests to do was this picture. He was giving this physical demonstration of what Christ was going to do. The only difference was, instead of sacrificing animals as these priests did, Jesus was going to sacrifice Himself. And instead of going into an earthly tabernacle and sprinkling the blood on a mercy seat that had been made by the hands of men, He was going to go into the heavenly tabernacle and He was going to sprinkle His blood on the mercy seat that God had made that's right before His very throne in heaven. You see, the first covenant was this earthly physical picture of the unseen heavenly work of Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 2.17, he says, These are only the shadow of the things to come, but the reality is Christ. The substance is Christ. Okay, so these are just pictures. So when we look at the old covenant, why did God make it? He made it so we could understand the new covenant. And when you think about this, It makes perfect sense. Because how was God going to tell us and show us what Jesus had done for us if He wasn't able to show it to us in the physical realm where we could see it? Where we could actually see it being enacted as an illustration foreshadowing what Jesus would do. How would we know that Jesus went into the heavenly sanctuary and He sprinkled His blood on the mercy seat there? How would we know what that means if God hadn't shown it to us in the realm that we can see? How many of you saw Jesus ascend into heaven? How many of you saw Him take His blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat in front of God's throne? How many of you can see what has happened in the unseen realm for people? The only way we can see it and the only way we can understand it is because God gave us the old covenant to educate us and to teach us and to show us so that he could point back to it and say, do you see what the priest did there? That's what Jesus did. Do you see what happened when the curtain was torn, when Jesus died? Do you know what that was representing? And we immediately know because there was a curtain there. How would God have shown that the way to heaven had been opened If there wasn't a curtain, that had to be torn. Do you see the point here? So this is why God gave the old covenant. So that we could understand the new covenant. So that we could understand the work of Christ. And so that we could, through what we have seen in the old covenant, embrace it by faith. Do you see the wisdom of God in this? Now let's just have a look at some things here. Because not only so, not only do we, do we discover about the work of Christ, but through the old covenant and the design of the tabernacle and the regulations of the priesthood, we learn about the holiness of God and we also learn about ourselves and our relationship with God. We learn about our sinfulness. We learn about our need for cleansing before we can approach a holy God. And we learn about the way sin has separated man from God. Do you know that everything is portrayed right there in the Old Covenant? 
So God put this old covenant together exactly the way it needed to be so we could see exactly our state before God and what needed to happen in order for us to be able to enter into a relationship with God. If you can put up the next slide. We're just going to look at this a little bit. Okay, So here, I hope that you can see it. This is a picture, an artist's impression. It's not a photograph of the old, of the old tabernacle. Artist's impression of the tabernacle that God commanded Moses to make. Okay, so I've got a little pointer here. Um, you can see that's the entrance there. And so what would happen is the Israelites would bring their animals. You can see their animals, which are all for sacrificing. And they would bring it to the priests. These are the priests here. And the priests, before they went in there, they would cleanse themselves. There would be washings and purifications that they had to go through. And then they would sacrifice these animals on the altar right here. And there was a whole process that went on. But look right back here. Do you see this here? Inside there, and we're going to have a look at a sketch just now. Inside here were two rooms. And at the front here, there was a curtain. And then there was another curtain, which we can't see, which was inside as well. Now, the nation of Israel, they were all camped around the tabernacle. None of the nation of Israel could ever go inside there. If you can just put up the sketch, the next one. Okay, so here's a sketch, a, 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 a schematic of the tabernacle. So that's that gate that we looked at. That's that altar where they sacrificed the animals. There's the laver where there was water for washings. And this is that tented area. Okay, so you've got the first room and then there's a second room. There's a veil or a curtain and there's a veil or a curtain. The priests, they were the only ones who could go behind that veil into this area here to do their service of these particular things, these items that were in this room. And this is called the holy place. Okay. So no normal Israelite could ever enter into this area here. Only priests. And they could only go when they, it was their turn to do the service. Their turn to go in and attend to the lampstands and the incense and all of that. That was the only time they could go in there. Now you imagine yourself as one of the Israelites. You're told God is in that tent. That is the presence of God. But you can never Get anywhere near the presence of God. You're outside this whole area, this tabernacle. You have no access to it. And when two of the priests that weren't meant to do it tried to come into this area here without following God's regulations, that's when fire came and consumed them. So the nation of Israel was terrified. They would never dare to even try and go into this area. What was God showing them? He was showing them, you are separated from me. You cannot come into my presence. You cannot have a relationship with me. So through this whole thing that he set up here, he's showing the people exactly what their position and their standing with God is. The people never knew God. They just, to them, God was this person holed up in that tent that they could never speak to, that they could never have communion with, that they could never have fellowship with. That's what this was, this whole covenant was showing them. Okay? Now, once a year, just once a year, the high priest, only the high priest, so no other priest was able to do this, only the high priest, once a year, 
he would go through that curtain there and he would take blood of animals, an animal that he had, uh, he had sacrificed. It would happen on the Day of Atonement and he would go through there and he would enter through this veil and he would go and he would, the mercy seat was right here and he would sprinkle that blood on that mercy seat and then he would come back out again. And they say that when he went in there, he would have a chain around his foot. So that they were worried that if he died in there, they could just pull him out because no one else could go in there. They wouldn't be able to get him out. So do you see how separate and holy God was showing himself to be? And how he was also showing the nation of Israel how sinful they were. These sacrifices were going on continually. There was constantly smoke from those sacrifices. It must have smelt like a barbecue 24-7. So the smoke is constantly rising. And every year, the high priest would go and they would do it all over again. Every year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would pass through and he would sprinkle that blood and he would come out. But the problem was that when he came out, the curtain was still there. And the people were still outside and they were still separated from God. All that he did in taking that blood into the most holy place and sprinkling it there changed nothing. God was showing something. So let's have a look at some of these scriptures because we'll see what he's showing right here. First of all, verse 8, 10. This is all in chapter 9. He says, the Holy Spirit is making clear that the way into the holy place had not yet appeared. It had not yet been revealed. As long as the old tabernacle was standing. So the Holy Spirit is showing the people, this is not what is going to get you inside there. The blood of bulls and goats is not making it possible for you to go in there. In fact, we'll see next week, or in two weeks' time probably, it was just a reminder of their sins year after year, year after year, year after year. Look at verse 9. This was a symbol for the time then present, when gifts and sacrifices were offered that could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So this is a symbol that what was being offered there could not achieve for the people what was necessary for them to have a clear conscience before God and be able to worship Him. Verse 10, they served only for matters of food and drink and various ritual washings. They were external regulations imposed until the new order came. So in a sense, God was just drumming it into the people. You are unholy. You are sinful. You cannot approach me. You cannot come into my presence. You are separated from me. You are cut off from me. And you know, just as a matter of interest, on the curtain, the, the second curtain, God told them to embroid cherubim onto that curtain. Have you ever wondered why? It takes you right back to the Garden of Eden, where God told, put two cherubim with flaming swords to keep Adam and Eve from being able to enter into the Garden of Eden and eat from the Tree of Life. That curtain that was hanging there with those cherubim was a reminder that because of the fall of man and the sinfulness of man, 
man could not enter the presence of God and eat from the tree of life and live forever. That's what it was showing. And the blood of the, that the high priest brought did not change that. But the establishing of the new covenant has changed all of this. And this is the message of Hebrews. And this is the message of the entire New Testament. And this is why the writer to the, of Hebrews is saying to the people that he's writing to, why would you want to go back to that old covenant when it accomplished nothing except show you that you need to go and embrace the new covenant? Why would you want to forsake the thing that the old covenant was given to point you towards? You see, they hadn't understood the way God had designed and set things up. So, let's just ask this. What does the new covenant provide when we look at this passage? Well, there's three things. First of all, it provides eternal redemption. Notice that word eternal. Eternal redemption. Secondly, it provides the cleansing of our consciences. Thirdly, it provides guarantee of the eternal inheritance. Everything that the old covenant failed to provide, the new covenant provides. Look at verse 11 to 12. But now Christ has come as the high priest of good things to come. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, and He entered once for all into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, and so He Himself secured eternal redemption. Jesus only had to go in once. He did what the high priest would do year after year. He did it once. He entered in and He offered His blood on that mercy seat, and the Bible then says he sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because his job was finished. Do you remember when he died on that cross, one of the last cries that he made, just as he gave his spirit up, was, it is finished. His work was over. And so today, Jesus is seated as our high priest at the right hand of God. He has not come out of that place. Why? Because that place into the presence of God has been opened once and for all. What happened when Jesus died? One of the things is the curtain was torn from top to bottom. That curtain that separated the holy place, that prohibited people going through, was torn in two from the top to the bottom, which means God did it. And the way into the presence of God was once and for all opened for everybody who would come. This is the new covenant. What the old covenant failed to do, the new covenant has accomplished. Look at verses 13 to 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkled on those who are defiled, consecrated them and provided ritual purity, how much more... Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to worship the living God? The Old Covenant only provided this external ceremonial purification so that the priests could go about their duties. 
But the new covenant cleanses us inwardly. It sets us free from every sense of condemnation. It cleanses and purifies our consciences from dead works. It goes so deep that our very conscience is cleansed by the blood of Christ. And why does this happen? So that we can worship the living God without fear. So that we can come into His very presence, right into the most holy place, without fear. You know, the high priest in the Old Covenant, he went in trembling into the holy place. And yet the Bible says that we can come with boldness before the throne of grace. What the high priest of the Old Covenant couldn't do, we, under the high priest of the New Covenant, and through him, can do. You know that this cannot be found in any other religion. Think about any religion. Do you know there is a constant working to try and earn God's favor? A constant striving to try and gain His approval? There is never a certainty. There is never an assurance. Only in the new covenant do we find this. Look at the last verse, verse 15. And so He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the eternal inheritance He has promised. Promised to Abraham and his seed, since He died to set them free from the violations committed under the first covenant. In other words, their failure to keep the requirements of the first covenant. Notice that word, that phrase, set free. The chains of condemnation... The fearful expectation of God's wrath. The sins by which we were held captive. We have been set free from. Jesus died to set us free from them. He paid the ransom. That word redemption speaks of slaves being set free. By the payment of a ransom. Jesus paid the ransom so that we could be set free from the consequences of our sins. Do you know that only an eternal redemption can guarantee an eternal inheritance? You see, the new covenant is eternal. Jesus will never die again. He will never offer His blood again. He's done it once and He's done it for all. He's done it for you. He went there for you. He sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat for you. And that blood is speaking on your behalf today. And you know what it's speaking? It's speaking mercy. It's speaking forgiveness. It's speaking redemption. It's speaking deliverance. Isn't that wonderful? So this is the benefit of the new covenant. And who can benefit from it? Everyone who believes the gospel. Everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone who will obey Him and come to God through Him. And so the question I want to leave with you today is this. Very simple question. Do you believe? Because if you believe this message, this gospel, if you believe it, then Jesus died for you Sprinkle that blood 
on that mercy seat for you as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these most wonderful and incredible truths. For the comfort that they bring to us. For the hope that they give us. For the joy that they fill our hearts with. For the peace that washes over our souls when we know that the blood of Jesus has taken care of our sins. That the way to you has finally and forever been opened for everyone who would come to you through Christ. I pray today, Father, that you would help each and every one of us to fully appreciate and embrace these certain and eternal truths. Thank you, Father, that we can approach your throne with confidence. Thank you, Father, that we are no longer separated from you, cut off from you, with barriers between us and you. Thank you, Father, that we no longer need to have any more consciousness of condemnation in our lives. You have set us free from it. You have forgiven us our sins. You have blotted out our transgressions. You have washed us and made us clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. You have adopted us as your sons, your daughters, through what Jesus has done. And today we thank you that we stand absolutely cleansed and absolutely free in your eyes. We praise you for this today. Amen. Amen.